This summer, Joe and I are preaching a sermon series entitled Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them. This morning, a story from the book of Numbers. This is, to be honest, one of the weirdest, but also one of the most charming stories in the Bible. The storytelling is masterful. The protagonist and the antagonist in this story have similar names. Balak, with a K, is the king of Moab, and Balaam, with an M, is a prophet who speaks to him. This story happens at about the time the Hebrews have been wandering in the wilderness for 40 years and are about ready to take possession of the land of Canaan. The Israelites set out and camped in the plains of Moab across the Jordan from Jericho. Moab was in great dread of the Hebrews because they were so numerous. They were overcome with fear. Now Balak, son of Zippor, was king of Moab at the time, and he said to the elders of Midian, This horde will now lick up all that is around as an ox licks up the grass of the field. Balak sent messengers to Balaam, son of Baor at Pethor, which is on the Euphrates, to summon him, saying, A people has come out of Egypt. They've spread over the face of the earth, and they've settled next to me. Come now and curse this people for me, since they're stronger than I. Perhaps I shall be able to defeat them and drive them out from the land. For I know that whomsoever you bless stays blessed, and whomsoever you curse stays cursed. So Balaam got up in the morning, saddled his donkey, and went with the officials of Moab. God's anger was kindled because Balaam was going, and the angel of the Lord took his stand in the road as Balaam's adversary And he was riding his donkey. And the donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with a drawn sword in hand. So the donkey turned off the road and went into the field, and Balaam struck the donkey. And then the angel of the Lord stood in a narrow path between the vineyards with a wall on either side. And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, it scraped against the wall and scraped Balaam's foot. So Balaam struck the donkey again. Then the angel of the Lord went ahead and stood in a narrow place where there was no way to turn left or right. And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, it lay down under Balaam, and Balaam's anger was kindled, and he struck the donkey again. The story goes on. Then the Lord opened the mouth of the donkey, and it said to Balaam, What have I done to you that you have struck me these three times? Balaam said to the donkey, Because you've made a fool of me. I wish I had a sword and I'd kill you right here. But the donkey said to Balaam, Am I not your donkey which you've ridden all your life? Have I ever treated you like this before? And Balaam said, No. Then the Lord opened the eyes of Balaam, and Balaam saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with his drawn sword in his hand. And Balaam bowed down. And the angel of the Lord said to Balaam, Go with the men, but speak only what I tell you to speak. So Balaam went on to the officials of Balak. And Balaam said to Balak, I've come to you now, but I don't have power to say just what I want. I will speak only what the Lord tells me. How can I curse whom God has not cursed? How can I denounce those whom the Lord has not denounced? And then Balak the king said to Balaam the prophet, What have you done to me? I brought you to curse my enemies. Now you've done nothing but bless them. Thanks be to God for God's holy word. Pray with me. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. 
If the story sounds a little strange, just remember that talking animals are a prominent feature in almost any culture's mythology, right? There's Aesop and Tolkien and the Golden Compass and the Jungle Book and C.S. Lewis's Narnia. In Prince Caspian, when the Pevensey children return to Narnia after a long absence, they are surprised that some of the animals can't speak under a, the brutality of a totalitarian regime. Some of the animals have lost the ability to speak, so the Pevensey children are surprised that they aren't speaking rather than that, that they are. Who's read The Art of Racing in the Rain? Or I Thought You Were Dead? Both of these wonderful novels are narrated by dogs. I thought you were dead. That's what the dog says to his owner at the end of a long working day. You were gone so long, I thought you were never coming back. I thought you were dead. So the Bible, too, is a book of myth and magic and miracle and mystery. So the scarcity of talking animals in the Bible might come as something of a surprise. There are only two talking animals in the Bible, Eden's crafty serpent and Balaam's loquacious donkey. But, as it turns out, Balaam's ast has spawned a whole long and rich legacy of chatty equines. There's a new Trier kid in here this morning. He or she will have studied the Iliad and will know who Xanthus is, right? Xanthus is Achilles' talking horse. Shakespeare gives us Nick Bottom in A Midsummer Night's Dream. Methinks I have a great desire to a bottle of hay, says Bottom. Winnie the Poor has Eeyore, who lives in the gloomy place, boggy and sad. And, of course, Shrek has his donkey, who sounds a lot like Eddie Murphy and loves waffles and parfaits. And if you're my age or more, you'll know this clever little song. A horse is a horse, of course, of course. But this one will talk his voice his ho tell his voice is horse. You never heard of a talking horse? Well, listen to this. I am Mr. Ed. Now, clearly, Balaam's donkey has starting something, started something magnificent, but what exactly did he do? Well, this is the story. The Hebrews are ready to take possession of the promised land, but unfortunately, the promised land is already occupied and the present inhabitants are scared to death by these swarming hordes of Hebrews on their doorstep. And King Balak of Moab calls a cabinet meeting to figure out how to hold them off. Exponentially outnumbered, he has no hope of defeating them militarily, so he adopts a strange strategy. He tries to defeat them linguistically or magically with incantations. He can never win a, war, win a war of swords, so he tries to win a war of words. He knows this cunning clairvoyant with a silver tongue and a strange connection to the netherworld of demons and gods, and his name is Balaam. And if Balaam curses you, you stay cursed. And if Balaam blesses you, you stay blessed. Somehow, magically, Balaam's word becomes inexorable fact. Curse these infernal Hebrew hordes, says Balak to Balaam, and I will make you richer than God. Which sounds like a great deal to Balaam, but on his way to Balak's palace, things don't go so well. His donkey veers off into the field as if he wants to she wants to snack on the clover. And so Balaam beats the donkey with his stick. 
And then the donkey veers off to the left in a narrow path between stone walls like a drunken driver and scrapes Balaam's ankle. So Balaam strikes the donkey again. And then a few feet further, the donkey just lays down in the middle of the road and refuses to go another step with Balaam still astride. And Balaam beats the donkey upside the head a third time. And then here's where the story gets interesting. The donkey, seriously aggrieved, turns around to Balaam and lets him have it with words. What have I done to you that you've walloped me upside the head three times, she complains. And Balaam doesn't blink an eye. He seems to see nothing strange about this. He says, because you've made a fool of me. If I had a sword, I'd run you through right now. Unfortunately, the only sword in the vicinity is in the hands of this flaming angel blocking Balaam's way. All seeing clairvoyant that he is, he hasn't managed to notice this angel yet. But then, of course, God opens Balaam's eyes and he notices the angel and realizes that the donkey has saved his life three times. And they go on with their journey to Balak's palace, but when Balaam gets there, he can't speak a curse. He's made mute for curse by God, and all he can do is bless the Hebrews. Four long, eloquent incantations. And Balaam ensures the Hebrews' prosperous future with God-given promises of health, wealth, and large families of chattering babies. If Balaam cursed you, remember, you stayed cursed. And if Balaam blessed you, you stayed blessed. Now, where the word donkey comes from, nobody really knows. Some linguists have guessed that donkey is an affectionate diminutive for the common name Duncan, given often to friendly horses. The older and more vulgar name for donkey is ass, of course, from the formal Latin label equus asinus. The donkey, of course, is the Rodney Dangerfield of the equine family, humble of reputation and awkward of appearance, with monstrous head and sickening cry with ears like errant wings, the devil's walking parody of all four-footed things as Chesterton put it. And yet the donkey is actually an amazing animal, powerful, sturdy, sure-footed, perfectly adapted for the barren wilderness. He's low-maintenance. You don't even have to feed him. Turn him loose at the end of a long day and he'll find his own forage. The donkey is mentioned 100 times in Scripture, most prominently at Jerusalem, the Sunday before Easter. Well, so what's the point, right? Why am I wasting your time with these tales of Eeyore and Eddie Murphy and Mr. Ed and Balaam's famous ass? Foolish of fabulous fables, everyone. Well, I'm glad you asked because I do think there is something of God's word in this strange story for us. I think God is speaking through this fable. I want to talk about a blocked path and a flaming sword this morning. Put yourself in Balaam's saddle for a moment. Blocked paths, flaming swords, bulky donkeys, these actually might turn out to be gifts from God, right? The next time your conveyance of choice lies down under you in the middle of the road, 
The next time your 10-year-old Corolla breaks down on you on the way to the job interview, the next time you fail the crucial text, the next time your husband walks out on you with $80,000 in tuition payments facing you, the next time you lose your job at Caterpillar after 20 years, the next time you're the runner-up again for that coveted job, you might consider that the garrulous, bulky donkey is diverting you from curses and leading you straight into God's rich benedictions. Closed doors, shuttered windows, blocked paths, scary angels with flaming swords, stubborn mules with keen eyesight. These all might be God's clandestine benediction. At the bottom of Jackie Robinson's elementary school transcript, a teacher wrote a curt note about Jackie's future prospects. Gardner, probably, wrote the helpful teacher. A few years later, Branch Rickey comes calling. Branch Rickey, University of Michigan Law School, class of 1911. Branch Rickey comes calling. The gardener plants himself at second base, starts plowing furrows down the base paths at Ebbets Field, and transforms baseball and America forever. I learned something wonderful from John Chambers. Do you know who John Chambers is? For 20 years, beginning in 1995, John Chambers was CEO at Cisco Systems, this uh, telecommunications manufacturing company in San Jose, California that was started in 1984 by two Stanford professors. When John Chambers became CEO of Cisco in 1995, revenue was 70 million with an M. And when he quit 20 years later in 2015, revenue was $40 billion with a B. There was a brief time in the year 2000 when Cisco was the largest company in the world by market cap, $500 billion just ahead of Microsoft. When John Chambers was nine years old, he was diagnosed with dyslexia although that's a bit misleading because there really wasn't a diagnosis of dyslexia because that word hadn't been used in that way yet in 1958 when John Chambers was nine years old. John says he reads from right to left. It's too bad he wasn't born in Israel where all Hebrew speakers read right to left. But in any case, every time he had to stand up to read in public, it was a traumatic experience. His mind would seize up. He would break into cold sweats. But then in the fourth grade, the computer assigned him a teacher named Mrs. Anderson, who taught him to look at this problem in a new way. She said, just think of this as a curveball. A curveball breaks the same way every time. It's predictable. It's something you can hit out of the park. And when John Chambers, at nine years old, started thinking about his dyslexia in this way, everything fell into place. And now the former dyslexic Make, made his living for 20 years speaking to shareholders and employees and customers of Cisco. But here's what I learned from John Chambers. He says that it was precisely his dyslexia that enabled him to be so successful. The necessity to confront and surmount this challenge gave him two gifts essential to the running of a giant corporation with 60,000 employees. Resiliency and sensitivity to others. In other words, his learning disability made him tough and it made him kind. And those are two qualities that come in handy if you have 60,000 employees in a market cap of $150 billion. 
Later, General Electric CEO Jack Welch would confirm this life lesson for John Chambers. One time, Mr. Chambers asked Jack Welch what it takes to have a great company, and counterintuitively, Mr. Welch responded, it takes major setbacks and overcoming them. And just a few months after Cisco became the largest company by market cap in the world, it tanked and the shareholders were clamoring for heads, new leadership. John Chambers survived for another 15 years and after that experience, Jack Welch called John Chambers and said, now you have a great company. So John says, people think that we are the product of our successes, but it's probably the case that our challenges are more important for the shaping of our character. Someone is coming to curse you, but you didn't even know it because there's a flaming sword before him and a stubborn animal beneath him and when he finally arrives, all he can do is bless you four times with benedictions rich with God's promises. As Frederick Beekner puts it, the next time the old mare looks up from her grazing and lets loose with an exultant whinny at the empty horizon, you might consider that the horizon is not as empty as you think it is. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, amen.